Hi there, from the cupping room at the World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason, welcome to another Coffee Shop Conversation. My name is Tom D'Antoni, Morgan Music News Editor-in-Chief. You know, when I named myself that, it was with a certain sense of irony. I mean, it's a pretty self-indulgent title to give yourself. It's legit, but it kind of has the ring of old-time journalism. I like that, but it's still a little embarrassing. Holy shit, I must be an Oregonian. Listen to me. Our guest today is just about the top all-around music journalist in the Northwest, Robert, or as he allowed me to call him, Bob Ham. He writes for a large number of music publications, including Oregon Music News, and he writes about every kind of music. We've written for the same publication or two at the same time over the years. He's a splendid fellow. You'll like him. Let's talk with Bob Ham. Sitting in the cupping room here at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason with, what do we call you? Do we call you, do I call, I know your byline is my, Robert. My byline is Robert. You can call me Bob. I respect you enough. You can call me Bob. <laughs> <laughs> my God. <laughs> Compliments right off the bat. I'm yeah. so honored. <laughs> but you used to, your, your byline used to be Bob. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I, I think it changed when I I moved to Seattle for a very brief period. I remember that. Yeah, a few yeah. years ago. And they all knew me as Robert around the office. And it just kind of stuck. And I thought, you know, it's a little bit more it's a little more formal, admittedly, but it seems to have a little better... Uh, gravitas. Gravitas. That's yes. exactly what I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> so with, my, with my writing words. So I'll take very it. Very gravitasical <laughs> Robert Ham. <laughs> Well, you write for everybody now, don't you? I write for a few, a fair number of people. That's okay, true. Let's give us a list. Okay, uh, I mean, currently the the most the places I'm writing for most regularly, uh, the Portland Mercury, mm-hmm. uh, a website called a web, Paste Magazine, mm-hmm. used to be a print publication, now just a website, as the way things are going nowadays. Well, um, not always. Yeah, not always. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, Occasionally for the Oregonian, uh-huh. uh, a website called Radio.com, which is an offshoot of CBS Radio's networks, uh-huh. and uh, a website called Wondering Sound that uh, was sort of the editorial offshoot of eMusic, the, uh, the MP3 download site, uh-huh. and then a bunch for Alternative Press, like a long-running magazine that has uh, started off covering, as the title would suggest, the alternative rock world, and has sort of melded into covering more of punk and emo and stuff that I don't necessarily enjoy as much as the people that write for them, but uh, <laughs> I, f- I find my ways in there. That is something I was going to bring up later, Okay. but since you brought it up, <laughs> I think we suffer the same malady, which okay. is, um, now I get it, I have it easy because I have other writers that right. I can assign things to, Right. but... But I, I don't necessarily like everything 
um, that we cover in Oregon Music News. Mm-hmm. Let me put it another way. I hate a lot of the stuff we cover in Oregon <laughs> Music News. Wouldn't have it in my home. Okay? Okay. On the other hand, it's valid. Mm-hmm. People like it. I have no problems with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when I first started, when I first started, I, I, I was on a show called The Critics Place. It was a TV show. Right? Okay. And, and they, um, they would assign me like bands to go see at Holiday Inns. And it would be like five guys in velour suits <laughs> singing, <laughs> the same velour suit, of singing Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. And I, so I was young and I would like write really scathing reviews. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know, this is bullshit. Right. You know, this is just bullshit because, first of all, who cares? And second of all, so I would go, you know, if you like this, you'll like this. Hmm. You'll like these guys, right? Okay. So, But, you know, it, it, that only goes so far. So how do you deal with that? How do I deal with, with writing about stuff that I don't care about very much? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, with alternative press is really the only place where that comes into play. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I look at it more as a writing challenge more than anything else mm-hmm. to see, you know, how can I write about this band that I wouldn't necessarily listen to in a million years in a compelling way to make people interested in what they've got to say. You know, uh, I think the most recent example I could think of is a uh, some ska band from uh, New England that I... You know the last assignment on the on the board, and I was like, okay, I'll take it. You know, I could use the forty dollars to write exactly. this piece. Exactly. And at the same time, like I said, it's a challenge. Like, let's interview this guy, see what they're all about. And and I think, which is the other part of it, is something that I that I think I'm getting from these podcasts here is is I do enjoy conversations with people. Yeah. And uh, you know, you always learn something from those things. Exactly. I think. So why not have the opportunity to talk with someone who I might not ever have the opportunity to otherwise? That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm not going to have any of their albums in my collection, but that's fine, you know. <laughs> right. You just, and, 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 well, it's, but it's always um, – and I've, I've done that. But mm-hmm. you can't really say to them what you really feel about their music, <laughs> you know. True. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't say, yeah, I know you're really popular and I know you're working very hard, but, man, you stop really shit. You, know, you can't say that. <laughs> you, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's like this. Um, when I was uh, when I was very active in television, mm-hmm. I would get calls from Inside Edition to go out and get video okay. all the time, right? A lot because mm-hmm. at, at that time, before the crash of two thousand eight, mm-hmm. they had was, people were spending money like it was going out of style, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So, and I would get a call, and when I was when I was working at OPB, the first thing I would say is, "Well, what's the story?" Right. Right. Say, well, uh, we want you to go talk to a mother who, uh, you know, whose daughter just got run over by a truck or something, or you know, is missing or thing. And I would go, well, you know, I have an edit today. I can't. I don't think I can do that. And I would just not do it. Right. However, <laughs> once that stopped, I would go like, okay, yes, I'm available. Right. <laughs> right. And 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 go do that same that same kind of thing because you have to. You, you got to. You have to feed the family and pay the bills. Yeah. And so it's it's just it's it's odd what we do. Are we whores? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Um, I would. Yeah, you, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that uh, that at least got instilled in me of uh, just a work ethic. You know, I mean, my uh-huh. my parents when I was growing up, never emphasized the idea of going to college right after high school. Like that never came up. Wow. Maybe in the background a little bit, but you know, my dad's idea was you should go join the air force. 
once wow. you're out of high school, which was never going to happen. Um, we've had many, we had many an argument at that time about that fact. <laughs> and my mom's idea was just, you know, get done with high school, just go get a job. I mean, I had jobs during high school too, and that yeah. was fine, but she was just like, yeah, just go get a job. And, and in a way that might've been pretty good because I kind of found my feet as a, an adult in a way. And like early on, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with mm-hmm. my life and how to make that happen without a degree. I ended up getting one anyway, but still, um, so yeah, I've, 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 it's the work ethic thing, I think. So when I start like earlier this month, I was looking at my to-do list and my calendar and I'm like, God, you know, I've got no work right now. Like this, after I get done with these things oh, this week, oh, what a, what a feeling. it's empty. What a feeling. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and I start panicking a little yes, bit like, well, of course. Sh- shit, now what do I got to do here? Yeah, yeah. Um, eventually stuff started coming in and things turned around, but, um, there's always that in the back of my head. I just got to keep moving forward and keep taking yeah. these assignments. And yeah, there's nothing like that panic. There's nothing. Oh, no. no. It really <laughs> lights a fire under your ass for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so were you the first person in your family to go to college? Yeah, I was. So was I. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 My mom, I think, studied for a semester at Auburn University. Uh-huh. She's from Alabama, but she yeah. just had no interest in continuing. And I think meeting my dad had something to do with that and wanted to be, you know, a a housewife and you know a mom mm-hmm. um did yeah. you have southern cooking at home oh yes thank god yeah it's amazing <laughs> um but my dad yeah he uh he was went into the coast guard didn't go to the coast guard academy right after he went to basic training and just ended up in the coast guard right after high school mm-hmm. and yeah my brother has yeah i was the first one yeah but that was still when i was what like 28 or something like that is when mm-hmm. i finally started going so yeah, yeah. It kind of took us, my sister ended up doing the same thing like later on, but yeah, it took us a while. Did your mother make good fried chicken? Yes, the best. My mother made the worst fried oh, chicken. Geez. <laughs> <laughs> well, that settles it. The next time my mother's in town, I'm making her. There you go. Have her make some fried chicken. Put I moved here, when I moved here from Baltimore, Yeah. I looked around and went, holy shit, there's no fried chicken. Yeah. What the, what? <laughs> I did two, th- two things. The first thing was, I looked around and I called up my friend Art Levine and I said, "Art, there's no Jews here. What do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> I later found some. Actually, I had a girlfriend oh, who's Jewish. And then the second thing was, we, we have fried chicken on every corner. I yeah. can't find any fried yeah. chicken here. It took me a long time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you? When did you start writing? Were you? Did you write in high school? Yeah, I mean, I have been writing the majority of my life. Um, the way I think of it. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's strange to, to say that and realize that like, that's, ex- that I kind of knew what I wanted to do early on was mm-hmm. write. Um, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to write and in what capacity, but yeah, like, you know, I would, you know, was entering writing competitions when I was in fourth or fifth grade or something like that, fiction wow. competitions and stuff. And, and what kind of stuff were you writing? Oh, it was, Dribble. Um, Doesn't matter. <laughs> it, I, you know, it was it was science fiction stories, basically. Really? Yeah, just sort yeah. of based on a lot of books that I'd read and movies that I'd seen and stuff like that. Similar sort of, you know, aliens, yeah. ET, uh, explorers type stories of you know aliens visiting children and yeah. you know yeah. changing their lives, that sort of thing. But um, were they uplifting? <laughs> yes, very uplifting. Okay, good. <laughs> but well, um, you know, it, it, they could have been dark. You, yeah, we don't, we don't I, know. Absolutely you know, true. Um, you know, it was one of those things that I think initially my, my idea was to be a fiction writer. Like uh-huh. I thought that was going to, that was the highest level you could reach at that yeah. point. Um, but the more and more I started getting into 
obsessing over music and obsessing over music magazines, especially at the time. And this is like the late eighties, early nineties is when uh, my high school years, um, that's when I started thinking more about doing that, about doing music journalism specifically. When did you discover music? Oh man, that is a really eight, good question. Six, eight, something around there. I, I would think. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I was actually going through, um, some stuff from 1977 recently. Uh-huh. That's when I was two years old. And I already I, had a career in television yes. by then. Yeah, by the I way. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I have this thing in my head where I think that that was like the, the when I was two, when it started actually sinking into me a little bit, like uh-huh. the, the, the emotional pull of two. music. Yeah. Wow. Because I would listen to, I mean, the, 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 the songs that I'm talking about are total treacle-like. Um, Whenever I Call You Friend, the duet between Stevie Nicks and Kenny Loggins. Mm-hmm. and there's a, a wing song that I can't think of the name of right now. Um, and I listen to those things, and, and maybe that's just the, the you know, the uh, sort of, what am I trying to, sort of chemical memory of hearing those songs as a young mm-hmm. kid. But like I heard, I, every time I hear these songs, I'm like, gosh, I just get this feeling in my spine, like, you know, wow, that just feels really good to listen to these songs, even though I know in the back of my head, like, this is total garbage, you know. Uh, but I mean, now when you listen to it, yeah, now when I listen it, to it, it still has it a, still has an emotional impact. Of course it does. Yeah, and so, but thankfully, unlike everyone else in the world, you moved on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone else is still stuck, right? Mostly when they're ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, I, in that music. I think I think there's something to that. I, I've talked to other folks about this too, where I think there's a certain point that people reach, probably in their college years, up to about their early twenties, yeah. when they actually seek out new music and are interested in what's going on musically but then after a while other things start to take over yeah. and they stop um, i think it's before then but you I, think so I, I, okay. well no i, I you know you yeah. get, be charitable okay <laughs> <laughs> but um and that's why i think um the nostalgia circuit is such a big deal with yes. concerts nowadays like yeah. you're seeing bands from the 90s now coming back and playing these huge shows yeah because all the people who are my age or older are coming right. out to these things yep. to, to revel in this. And Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears is a great example of yes. that. Um, Afghan Wigs a couple like months ago, and then mm-hmm. a couple you know year before that at the Wonder Ballroom. Um, that place was just packed out with people like yeah. you know my age or older, and I was yeah. just looking around, just going, "This, you know, this isn't very good." You guys understand that, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching the show, and I'm not that into it. But what am I missing here, people? And you know, and I get it too. I mean, sometimes I go to these big arena festival arena shows, like at the Sleep Country Amphitheater, where they play, you know, right. where I saw Kiss this last summer and oh, uh, Motley Crue, and just these things that I get, you know, taken to. Um, not unwillingly. I, you know, I want to see the spectacle. I want to see what this is all about. And I get it. You know, I get that. I, you know, uh, I get why people get excited about that stuff. It feels good to to watch your favorite band playing your favorite songs. There's no getting around that. Yeah. And I know. I always use the example. If anyone asks me, like, you know, I always in my head I have like a limit of if I buy a concert ticket, like how much I'm willing to spend on a concert ticket. I think no more than forty dollars is where my my cap is. Yeah. So thankfully, going to these big arena shows, I get in for free as a music journalist, which is nice, nice. perk of the job. Um, anyone's, you know, says, well, would you go above that? Like, you know, who like who would be the the artist that you would spend a lot of money to go see? And the only one that I can think of is Bowie, uh-huh. because he's the only guy who has had that much of an emotional impact on me as a listener and as a mm-hmm. fan mm-hmm. that would put on a great show I know and be 
you know, it would be an expensive ticket, but I was like, I, you know, I can't miss this because I've never seen him before. And if he does tour, it's probably going to be the last time he does it. So, yeah. When you, when you go to see those, those, those big arena shows with bands from the, um, from the past like that, like the, uh-huh. Kiss, the Kiss shows and those kinds of things. Yeah. I, what, what is, what do you, what do you feel that your role is? Do you, are you, are you still trying to put them in some sort of cultural context or uh, hmm. their legacy or are you just dealing with the show itself? I think, you know, both of those examples of the shows that I went to at the Sleep Country were thankfully shows that I didn't write about. I didn't have uh-huh. an assignment to do it. But if I was, yeah. You kind of have to do a bit of both, um, because I think, especially with those shows, Molly Crew, for example, that was their last tour. They're doing they're doing their big last tour before they supposedly break up for good. <laughs> Until the next time. Until the next time, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> I hear Cher's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of have to put the legacy into context there, with yeah. that, as well as trying to focus on like you know the pure performative aspects of this. Yeah. Like how well did they do in Molly Crew's case? Okay. You know, it was very obvious Vince Neil was being helped by a little backing vocals, sweetening the mix a little bit. That you, you know, no yeah. one's on stage. But you kind of hear it in the background. Right, right. Uh, same with, you know, any of the other guys in the band. Um, and the spectacle of the show is big stage set, lots of flames. Yeah. You know, uh, scantily clad women dancing around on stage. It's, it's what you expect from Molly Crew show. Yes. So entertaining in that respect. But also looking, you know, knowing that these guys are getting older. All this material is is not a lot of it is not aging as well as I think they would like, and <laughs> you know it's and you know for me for that show they ended up getting upstaged by Alice Cooper who was the opening act. Wow, who was fantastic. I mean the guys you know like 15, 20 years older than those guys, 15 yeah. years older than those guys, and, and you know just mop the floor with them. He and his young band. Well, I think probably because he doesn't care. Yeah, I don't think. He I mean, needs he, to. what I mean is he cares, but he doesn't care if he's being judged. Yeah. I think he's at that age, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure his faith probably has a lot to do Which with that. Which is probably too. the only perk about getting old. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can take my word for it. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, you don't think about that, where he's just like, you know, I think he's at that point where he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go up there, put on a good show, have some fun. And, you know. I'm, getting, I'm still getting paid good yeah, money. Exactly. I get to sing my songs. Eh. And I can spend the rest of the summer golfing. Yeah. Well, you know? where meanwhile, I would think that maybe Motley Crue thinks they've got to attain some sort of uh, place where they used to be, or show people that they're still men. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's true. And they have to maintain some sort of. They have to sort of put a cap in their legacy as a band. Like yeah. we're talking about that word legacy, it's a yeah. big deal for those guys. I think. Yeah. yeah. Where they're like, we've got to prove to ourselves that we uh, prove to the world that, like, you know, we are relevant. Even yeah. in 2014, yeah. um, which I mean, to the crowd there, they were. Yes. To the greater consciousness of music listeners, maybe not so much. <laughs> other than maybe, maybe not at all. Maybe not at all. Maybe <laughs> other than you know Tommy Lee's video with his ex-wife. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and Kiss on the other hand is just you know, I mean they 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 are a pale version of what they were in the 70s. And yeah. There's no getting around that, but. You know, having a different guitar player and drummer always puts a weird spin on things. Right. And right, right. I think they also don't. I, my buddy Mark, who I went to the show with, Mark Lore, who's another uh, writer here in town, mm-hmm. huge Kiss fan. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was. Um, 
he was really down on the show because he's like, well, they're just playing all the songs they expect everyone wants to hear. You know, you, well, you, they're not going to hear, you know, you're not going to hear deep cuts from their catalog. I was like, well, dude, of course you're not going to hear that. <laughs> Have you seen like the booth outside with has much crap that they're selling with their yeah, faces and I mean, names on? They're a on brand. Them? You, they're not. A, they're a brand. Yeah, they're exactly, not a band. Exactly. You know, that's exactly what it is. I mean, yeah. Any band that's willing to, you know, put uh, customized Kiss coffins on the market. <laughs> Has kind of <laughs> lowered their uh, stature. You're not really, you're not really um, uh, anticipating hearing what, what what new they have to say. Exactly. Because first of all, they didn't have a lot to say to begin with, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> and second, no they, they're not going to have, they're not going to, they're not going to be playing, you know, their interpretation of of anything. I mean, it's like, and they're not going to play. They're not even going to be playing an interpretation of themselves. Yeah. They're just going to be playing themselves. Yeah. Which is, I think, is fine. People love it. Exactly. And we want people to be happy. Yeah. You know. No one's no one's <laughs> arguing that. Point. I would yeah. not. I would never write a bad review of a Kiss concert. I would never go to a Kiss concert, <laughs> but I wouldn't write a bad review of one. It's true. Because it's, it's true. too easy. It's too easy. Yeah. It's, it's the only shots, thing. Yeah. Punch up. And, and, and the thing about organ music news is, and this mm-hmm. is from, something we've done from the beginning, is that we, we leave snark to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, first of all, most of what we do is is uh, is is forward is looking forward is previews sure. and profiles. Sure. And we'll run reviews, but we don't run bad reviews because who gives a fuck? I don't. You know, first of all, <laughs> except for people who are uh, who have uh, uh, some skin in the game and some cred, um, most of the time, people who write really bad reviews are just trying to make a name for them for themselves. It's true. I did that. Same here. And I did it. I did make a name for myself. <laughs> but I know the pratfalls of that. Yeah. The pitfalls of that. Pratfalls too. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, the only time I've ever done, I did, I did that twice. I gave Emmett Wheatfall a bad review, and he never let me forget it oh. for years. Wow. So the next time he came up with an album, I had somebody else review it, and they gave him a good review, so he shut up. The second was just that I had I'd had stuck in my craw for many many years. It's a Beautiful Life by Ace of Base. <laughs> because to my way of thinking, it was could have been maybe the worst pop song ever written. Wow. And the video was just as good. <laughs> and I had had this stuck in my crop because well, the first time I heard it, when it came out, I was I had I had uh, was recovering from a, a life crash and I had just gotten back into sort of in my in in, in my uh, in 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 my world, and I was a party and wedding DJ ah. wearing a polyester uh, uh, tuxedo with a red bow tie and a red cummerbund. Seriously, and I had to play "It's a Beautiful Life." Okay, and <laughs> I had to I had to teach people how to do the Macarena. Wow. Yeah, it was, and for years, whenever I would hear the Macarena again, the hairs would stand up on the back of my neck. But so I had had this thing about it's a beautiful life for years and years so when we started doing video of the day and then started doing throwback thursday video of the day i said i'm finally going to get to write about this and i just wrote about it and it yeah. was like you know and i was scathing and hilarious which was probably the funniest thing i've ever written for organ music is. <laughs> but other than that you know i mean I, I i i i do encourage critical writing but critical writing and and and, and snarky slamming are two yeah. different things hit pieces are not it's, fun it's, it's tricky to, to write a bad review it really is because, especially nowadays, because it is so easy for people to read these things. Yes. Um, so yeah. you have to yeah. anticipate, you know, the fans are going to be out here and they're not going to be happy with what I have to say about this show. Right. Um, 
Not to mention the management. Not to mention and the management the and the band, the venue, all right. of those people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some people take it better than others, but you know, right. I don't remember the only the only time that's really ever come up that I can think of is when I saw Smashing Pumpkins a few years ago, and I didn't care for the show at all. Just yeah. you know, between they were just going through the motions is what it felt like for the most part, and yeah. it was, and you know, some fan site got a hold of the article and put it up there and right. the comments were very, very unhappy and very pointed and oh and um and, and, and you know, those comments are, are actually valid because they're fans and mm-hmm. they just wanted to hear the hits and maybe they liked it and they finally got yeah. to see them and Exactly. You I, know, it's 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 very tricky. Yeah. I mean we unless you're writing for the New Yorker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh it's very tricky writing critical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, well, actually, you know, there's a couple of other instances. I mean, the the biggest one that happened recently was uh, there was uh, I've been doing some TV reviewing, like writing about TV shows. Mm-hmm. I man, I ended up wound up, excuse me, um, writing about a show called Banshee that's on Cinemax. Mm-hmm. Um, a te- terrible, terrible television show, just exploitative <laughs> mm-hmm. to uh, an unnecessary degree. Um, you know. I got nothing against naked women, but the 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 way that they're placed in the, every episode of the show was a little over the top, and the violence was the violence is violence. So I can take that, take it or leave it, but that seemed really gratuitous. A lot of it, as much as it makes me sound like an old fuddy-duddy to say that, you know, even, you know, my 40th birthday is right around the corner, so I guess I can't say talk about gratuitous oh, violence man. nowadays. But yeah, sorry, well, you're over the <laughs> hill, man. You just like, you're over the hill. You might as well quit. Yeah, it's a young man's game. You got to quit this. You got to find another line of work. I think so. Um, so I've been writing reviews of these shows and just saying like, this is just too much. You know, I, you know, I can't, this is, you know, and, and the, the tenor of the times that we're living in, like this doesn't need to be on television. It's the way I felt about it. Yeah. Uh, one of the people who produced the show or the showrunners, uh, caught wind of this and posted something on Twitter saying like, look at this poor bastard who has to hate watch this show. And, uh, the showrunner of Sons of Anarchy, the uh-huh. Hell's Angels-ish uh, yeah. motorcycle gang show that just yeah. finished up, Kurt Sutter, posted something, found a picture of me that was, just, that was on another site, <laughs> and said, well, at least you don't have to go through life looking like this. Uh, and called me fat at some point in the, in the thing as well. That's really, it's that's easy. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cheap shot. It's and cheap. and I made mention of that, and all the Sons of Anarchy fans on Twitter were just like, "You just can't handle his truth, his reality. <laughs> He's speaking his mind, and you can't respect that." Oh, I'm like, "Yeah, geez. I respect that, but you know, cheap jokes at the expense of some guy who just doesn't like a television show is yeah. a little much." Now I have to ask: Are there, are there is there video footage of, of your your days as a video de- as a wedding DJ out there somewhere? Oh no! Okay. Oh no! Okay. No! 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 I'm gonna have to start making may some no, inquiries. The no. investigative journalist in me is no, thinking: Okay, there is no see. video. Okay. Of that. Uh, thank you. There are no there are no photographs of that. Um, uh, I don't even have the tuxedo anymore. Ah. You know, the funny thing was when I moved here and didn't have a job. Uh-huh. I moved here in '97 with 50 bucks in my pocket. Uh-huh. And I and I I landed a, another DJ gig here because I went the hell you know like, yeah. pick up some money, but it was like a wedding DJ gig yeah right? and I, I I couldn't do it because they'd never heard of the chicken dance. Wow, I know, and you could not DJ a wedding on the East Coast yeah without the chicken, without the dance. chicken dance yeah. 
You I'm had like, to have a set. You had to do the twist. You had to do the, you had to do the, the hokey pokey. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> do the chicken dance, YMCA, and the Macarena. Yeah. You know, I mean, otherwise you'd never you wouldn't get a tip. Wow. The electric <laughs> slide didn't factor in there at all. The electric all? slide was what you used to get them dancing. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And everybody knew the electric slide. Yeah. Yes. I've only done it a couple of times, and thankfully it's both been for friends who were like, we don't want any of that stuff. Just play stuff that we like. And I was like, awesome. I'm, you got it, you know? So, And I think there are some, like, I had been reading a while back. It was like some, someone who used to be in a band that I liked in the 90s had started a company on the East Coast that was like a wedding DJ for people like like us like that don't want to yeah. do the chicken dance and want to dance to LCD sound. chicken dance? I don't know. You really? Know, hipsters, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Let's talk about hipsters. No, hipsters, let's not yeah. Hipsters. No, let's no, not, no, let's no, not no, get into that. Don't no. cry for no hipsters. <laughs> I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes. You know. We could. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. I would not mind. It's something that needs to be discussed. That's true. It it's is. true. It's out there. <laughs> oh, man. No, it was, yeah, it was a, a, a very interesting, very interesting because there would be, because uh, it was Baltimore. Yeah. You know, like I I, I did one wedding uh, in like a VFW hall or something, uh, and and um, the groom got got dead drunk. And suddenly realized that he had gotten married, right? And ran out of the building and tried to <laughs> and tried to run in front of a truck. I'm not kidding you. Holy there were shit. there were knife fights in the in, in, in the parking lot between fa you know family factions that hated each other. Yeah, it was it was it was it was quite an experience. Wow. You know, I mean, wouldn't want to repeat it, but uh, you know, I, uh, but you know, these 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 kind of things happen sure. uh, if if your life crashes and you have <laughs> nothing else to go to. Right. You know. Uh, See, luckily, I made a recovery. Yeah. Because <laughs> usually you don't. Yeah. So you moved here in '97. '97. That's about the same time I moved here, actually. Yeah. 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 You're from Washington. Yeah, it's where we. I mean, you know, I was born in Washington. My dad, like I said, is in the Coast Guard. So we got bounced between there and Massachusetts. Really? Yeah. So he was born and raised in New Hampshire, so he kind of has a real uh, affinity for the for the New England and East Coast. I see. Um, He's a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we won't get into that either. Um, <laughs> it's been a busy day, baseball fans. But yeah, yeah. it is. It is very. very um. Much. Yeah. So, but the last. The last three years of high school, and I was there for about five after that. Um, I was in a town called Ilwaco, Washington. Oh, yeah. It's a small burg near yeah. Astoria. Um, strange. It's 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 where they have the museum with the with uh, Jake the Alligator Man. Jake the Alligator Man. Yeah. Yes. You know, see when the cover <laughs> Who Among Us yeah. has not been has not visited? Yeah. Jake the Alligator Man. A tribute to Jake the Alligator Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a fascinating place to grow up, as you might, or spend those wow. years, formative years, as you might imagine. Yeah. But a lot I think, of fresh fish. Yeah, it's oysters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was good in a lot of ways, though, and this was obviously pre-high-speed internet days. Yeah. Where we were, what access I had to the internet there was dial-up, AOL-style, ah, posting yeah. on Salon's table talk about yeah. Woody Allen movies, yeah. Yeah. best bass players in the world, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like downloading music from the internet was you know a pipe dream at that point. I had yes. no idea what that was all about until no. years later. And there was no YouTube. There was no YouTube either. Right. Yeah. So, but in a way, I think that helped me as far as as writing because I spent a lot of time reading because there was a lot of hell else to do out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I got a really, uh, I think, formative musical education uh, at thanks to a radio station out there. 
Of course. It's KMUN in Astoria, the public radio state, community radio station that's been there for mm-hmm. God now twenty five years, maybe more. Yeah. Um you know, I listened to it when we moved there just because, you know, when I did live on the East Coast, you know, all I would listen to is the left of the dial college rock stations. Right. You know. Uh, another eye-opening experience. That's where my first sort of love of jazz got fomented was by the um, was, was it WBRU Brown University Station. Who who was it that got you into jazz? What artist? It was God. That's a really good question. I you know because I remember like the first couple of jazz cassettes because I would buy cassettes at the time yeah. that I owned were it was kind of blue by Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still don't know why that was the one that I was interested in. I was just like that, you know, seems like the one to get. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was the one to get. And then there was a Duke Ellington uh, ah, cassette that I had. Interesting. It, I want to say it was Ellington Indigos, but it might have just been like one of those sort of uh, public domain collections of his stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, come on, you know, Miles Davis kind of blew to an impressionable 14-year-old is, who's interested in music was, you know, an expansive experience, as you can yeah. imagine. Yeah, that's, that's that's I see. See, I think that's very unusual. Is it? I think most people, most most people who are young, get into jazz through jazz that sounds like something else. Sure, there I can was see a that. Whole, like my generation uh-huh. got into it when Miles went electric. Yeah, because he was because it was like rock. Yeah, you know, it, like, like yeah, there's funk bitches, and blues, it was funk yeah. and stuff, and and so. Uh, and we, we heard that. Then we heard uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And w- and we all got into it that way. And then we started discovering everything else that had gone before. Yeah. You know, uh, you know I, I, thinking back on it more as you were as you're saying that, was I think my dad had a lot to do with this as well because he was a jazz fan. Oh. He didn't listen to a lot of stuff around the house because he was, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's a bit of a hermetic figure, which is fine. I kind of get that same thing <laughs> from him which is okay. Um, Are you like that? A little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Um, he, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was him that got me interested in Dave Brubeck in uh, Take uh-huh. 5, that uh-huh. record. Uh-huh. But I also know that um, this is, this might be just for the East Coasters. I don't know that anyone, anybody else that has lived in that area, I've told, told about this, and they're like, I don't know if I remember that. But there was a public radio, the public television station, out of Providence, I think it was, or mm-hmm. it might have been Providence, it might have been Worcester, I don't remember which one, that uh, during the hours where they weren't broadcasting, and most of the time they would just broadcast like uh, footage of the Massachusetts uh, State House of Representatives <laughs> in session. <laughs> there you That's go. They would play a lot of the time. And but when they weren't on the air, they would just play like a test pattern thing and then be playing Take 5 over <laughs> and over and over again on a loop. <laughs> And it's one of those songs. Is just you know, if, if you like it, you really like that song. I don't think it's it's one of those songs. That I don't think it's like a gray area there. It's like you know, if you you love that that sort of you know uh, odd time signature style jazz, yeah. cool jazz stuff, you're yeah. you're gonna love Dave Brubeck. So yeah. I know that was another big formative one for me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so that anyway, so that's what got me going. Lee Conitz is coming to town. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I can't wait jazz for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna be a great show. So, any, so those are the things that sort of got me in, interested in jazz. And so I would listen, you know, back east there was, um, it was WPLU, I think, which was a Plymouth station that uh-huh. would play big band stuff and swing jazz. And so that's where I got to, you know, hear Glenn Miller, uh-huh. Benny Goodman, Count Basie, and all the greats in that regard. They'd also play Red Sox games, so that's how we found the station right. initially. Gotcha. Um, but then the BRU, um, 
was it Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays uh-huh. from midnight until six in the morning when they would resume their broadcast of you know whatever college yeah. rock was yeah. hip at that time. Yeah. Um, well, for you, you'd like this that Mondays is Blue Mondays. There you go. So from midnight to five, there'd be six. There'd be guys playing yeah. blues records all night yeah. long. But Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays was just jazz programmers. They would uh-huh. play just amazing stuff. Um, and I would fall asleep to that. Wow. I'd like to say that you know, sort of seeped into my subconscious. And go. that's where I get yeah. a lot of this interest in it, too. But yeah. um, Certainly, it's possible. It's possible. Absolutely. I don't, sure. I don't deny it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so radio is a big deal for me, and it still is. And so uh, KMUN was a big thing for when we moved, when we moved out here. I would listen to it all the time. And then when I was a junior in high school, uh-huh. Was it earlier than that? No, I think it was the junior year in high school. No, actually, I take that back. It was my sophomore year in high school because um, mm-hmm. the guy I did the show with initially was uh, in the same year as my sister in high school. He was two years older than me. Mm-hmm. And he graduated uh, away from the show. Um, point being that he and I started a radio show on there, the Bob and Fred Show, <laughs> imaginatively titled. So if you're listening, Fred Rutherford, thank you. Um, and he and I would just, you know, just be write goofy comedy bits, play songs yeah. that we we're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but then that just gave me access to their music library there too, which was not, I mean, it's not the greatest music library in the world. It's not like, But it know, was a music library. It was a music library, and there yeah. was a huge jazz section. There was a huge rock section, yeah. huge blues yeah. section, classical stuff. It was everything you could imagine. And you could do whatever you wanted. And yeah, and that's what yeah. it turned into. Yeah. Like when I, uh, after he graduated, it became my own show. And it was on Friday nights from... It was 9 to 11. 9 to 11 was 9 to midnight, so I ended up having three hours to myself. Great time. It was fantastic, yep. you know, uh, for a, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid. Absolutely. Who play, you know, whatever alt-rock was indie stuff. That's what it started out as. But then when I started, you know, diving into the catalog there and the, the library there at the station more, the show just started expanding in all these different directions, and I would be playing everything. I would be playing. Makes, you, makes you popular with the girls. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriends at the time weren't that happy about spending Friday nights at a radio station. I'll oh, just tell geez. you that much. But hey, oh, um, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so I would I would just start thinking more of like the mixtape aesthetic of, of like how to program this show. Yeah. Of like mm-hmm. you're thinking of you know what goes after this and what works after this right. and. Moving it along in those directions. Because who among us didn't make mixtapes for your girlfriend? Oh, anybody born in after 1993, <laughs> right. maybe? Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. know. I was actually talking to my doctor the other day yeah, for really. some reason. That's weird. <laughs> um, yeah, so and so I would move. I would you know wend in jazz stuff and blues stuff and show tunes and mm-hmm. some modern classical stuff and world music and folk and country and just kind of go all over the map just yeah. because yeah. I had three hours and no one was telling me what to do as long as it wasn't right. swearing on the air or right. playing hardcore hip-hop that was, you know, yeah. bitches and hoes and all that shit, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which I'm not against, by the way. Let's just make that absolutely clear. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's not, you can't play that on the radio at that time. You couldn't do it on the radio. Right. So. right. Yeah, so it was out there, and so yeah. Well, you know that whole aesthetic um, really uh, took hold um, during the avant, the jazz avant-garde of the of the late seventies. Sure. You know, I mean, the slogan, and and, and I have I have lived by it mm-hmm. ever since then. Was when the art ensemble said, "Great music, ancient to the future." Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was the aesthetic. I mean, you can almost point to to that that period. And um, uh, uh, when Air made the album Air Lore, okay, they did Scott Joplin. 
Mm-hmm. They were they were a totally outside jazz jazz group, but that was, I I, I believe that 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 that, that, that was the, the the beginning of that whole essence, and that was in you know mid mid to late seventies when mm-hmm. all that started to happen, and uh, and and that just took hold, and I've lived by it ever since, and I'm sure you have too. Absolutely true, yeah. absolutely true, yeah. and I think that was that for a we, long. We are of course going against the grain. I you know I was about to say I don't think that's necessarily as true anymore. I'm hoping for, that's for some true. people, for young people, I think especially. Um, yeah. I will say for a while that was one of those things that that had people looking askance at you if you did if they knew uh, the yeah. vast you know the variety of stuff you listen to. They're like, really? You're, this, you're into all this stuff? Like yeah. you actually really like all these records? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Nowadays I think it's so much easier to have access to all these different styles of music and different artists. Yeah. That I think people are opening their ears to a lot of different stuff, and I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, the only reason I, I, I see this in, if you look at like to bring up blogs, which was going to come up eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. If you look at the popular music blogs and sites of the day, um, you know, Pitchfork being one of them, Stereo Gum, Pop Matters, all these things. Yeah. When they started out, it was just mainly indie rock stuff. Yes. Maybe a dash of hip hop that they were into, but mostly it was just you know focusing on indie rock because that's what their aesthetic was. Mm-hmm. As they've grown. And as their audience has grown, and as access to music has grown, they see that more. They want to see more. The readers want to see more stuff on there yeah. that cater to their interests. So you're seeing a lot more writing about hip hop, country music, uh, heavy metal. You know, some of these niche genres that right. might otherwise not get play in these bigger yeah. circles. Yeah. I think Rolling Stone setting up an entire country music offshoot mm-hmm. on their website is a big deal. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, when when um, I was planning Oregon Music News, mm-hmm. I caught a lot of flack from people because the whole the whole concept was that people like more than one kind of music. Right. And I kept uh, being pushed in the direction of, no, you've got to be more indie. You've got to be hipper. You've got to be... And I'm going like, no, no. There's first no of, first of all, on a business level, okay, right. who has the money? Older people. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean... Yeah. We, you, nobody's going to get rich off of what baristas listen to. We love baristas, yeah, but we and, and we couldn't live without them, right? But nobody's going to get rich off of off, off of uh, uh, you know off of them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you know, I, I, even with even people within Oregon Music News, mm-hmm. uh, were would 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 push would push me to go. No, we've got to get. We have to be more hip. We have to be more. And I'm going like, you know what's and and this was you know four and five and six years ago. I'm going like, no, you know what? If we did something that was really hip right now, what do we do a year from now? Right. You know, uh, and that's why we've got the same logo. Mm-hmm. We cover. We still cover cover all genres. You know, and um, so I, you know, when you so when you say that, it makes me it makes me feel good. Good, thank you very much. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> because I think you know, I think that that, uh, that you know that, that you're right, mm-hmm. and you were right, and you know, and and um, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, good thing. I think so yeah, too. Yeah. I, so I, what do we do about hipsters? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? Do we just wait for them to grow old? You kind of just wait for them to grow up. Yeah. At this point, you know, I, I think there's – I don't want to call it infantilizing, but there, I was talking with somebody about this on the phone today was, or, or via Skype. There was going to be an interview with this uh, singer in this band, Dutch Uncles. Uh-huh. 
And he and I were kind of talking about this, about how if you look at the way that, um, as he put it, as he referred to it, as you look at the way video game consoles are being marketed nowadays, yeah. they're not being marketed to preteens and teens anymore. Right. They're being marketed to 20-year-olds yeah. and 30-year-olds who are sort of you know, prolonged adolescence and arrested development guys who just want to sit there yeah. in their underwear playing games right. and talking with people on you know headsets like these that we're yes. wearing. <laughs> And feel connected to you know other people who are playing these big yeah. immersive video games, right. and and that's that's just that's fine, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But um, what was I going at? So, but I think that's that's going on a lot with 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 culture nowadays, where I think people are really holding on to uh, a younger aesthetic than than maybe they. You know, they're they're trying to act twenty when maybe they're thirty, or they're trying to act twenty when they're forty, or yeah. even older. Right. And maybe that's an it's an epidemic that's been happening for a long time. I don't know. Like I said, I'm only thirty nine, so I don't know. If I, I haven't paid that much attention to it, but I just see it more now. Yeah. Where people my age are trying to, you know, grasp desperately. Well, it's it's the, the whole forty is the new twenty, or fifty is the new thirty. Yeah. Sixty is the new forty. Yeah. And it's just not true. Yeah. It's not I, true. You, you know, so if you want to talk about you know, advances in, you know, health and, and, and medicine and science in that way, but keeping us young, like, you know, you with your, your with pacemaker. With my pacemaker, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> um, keeping me young, keeping me alive. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but, you know, but the, and, and that is, I think, is a good thing. But at the same time, it's like people aren't willing to let that go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's, I don't know. It's a, it's a great, it's a, that's, a, that's a gray area for me where it feels like you can, you know, I see some people just kind of giving up completely as far as, I think I talked about this before, but yeah. we're talking just about like musical taste. I, yeah. I see a lot of people who are my age or older just giving up on music entirely. Yes. Like a lot of guys that I hung out with 10 years ago, I don't see it shows anymore right. because they just don't go out. Yeah. And that's fine. They've yeah. got a family life or they just want to be at home. I don't decry them that. Um, it seems unfortunate to me, just for something that seems so important to their lives at that time to just completely shut themselves off from it. Um, but at the same time, it's a little weird to, you know, I'm sure I look really weird going to like hip hop shows. You know, I go to, I, you know, went to see, uh, Vince Staples this past summer, this uh, uh -huh. guy who's associated kind of with odd future that, you know, hip hop collective, a very small crowd there. Um, uh -huh. and I, there was, it was an all ages show. So the, what was it? The Alhambra had it separated off. So that the, all, you know, all the kids are on one side, all the drinkers on the other, but there's like maybe six or seven people in the bar. And I was like, I just want to get closer to the stage. And I get closer to the stage and you can start seeing the side eye you start getting from all these, you know, 16 year olds who are like, right. is this fucking narc here? What is this guy doing? You know? <laughs> and I, and I get it, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, hard, I'm not, you know, I'm six foot five. I'm not easy yes. to ignore, but I'm also, you know, the old dude with gray hair and, right. you know, hanging out at a hip hop show, enjoying the hell out of it. But at the same time, yeah. you, know, you know, I get it. Yeah. I've been the oldest guy there for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't care. No, that's exactly. You've got at, at some yeah. point, I and mean, that's like you're saying by getting older, it's like you just, it, that's the best thing about it where you just start. Not giving a shit about what that looks like to people. Right. Yeah, I mean, what, what, you know, what can I do about it? Yeah, you, know, you can't do really anything about it. About yeah. It. So, you know, might as well just have, have you know, either enjoy it or not enjoy it. And this, yeah. You know, so what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so, but that doesn't, it doesn't really answer the question about hipsters. Oh, about hipsters. Yeah, I kind <laughs> of hipsters. skirted That's that the one, thing. didn't I? That's the, you know, um, and, and, and every, here's the, th the, the funniest thing is, uh -huh. 
hipsters criticize everybody, and everybody criticizes hipsters. That's true. That's a good. You know? a and when or, is it that you? Thing. When is it? That, when when does when do you, when does when does that person stop being a hipster? Does that person stop being a hipster because he's he is consciously stopping being a hipster, or is it you can't can you can't consider him a hipster anymore because he's too old? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, you I mean, I don't of, have the answers to those. Yeah, I don't. Know, I don't know that I do either. But, but you know, um, is it something you grow out of, or yeah, or, or what? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. And then when you know, when do you adopt it? When when does it start? Because you have to. You, so you're young and you emulate somebody. Yeah, and that's yeah. what all young kids yeah. do. I, yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about my. If we're gonna talk about me for a minute here, no. If, yeah, let's if talk about you. Well, did, talking, did you was was, it, was there a writer that you you emulated, a, a music journalist that you emulated? Music journalist, yes. And I, you know, my memory is not what it used to be. Thank you, getting older. But yeah. all the writers, like from the days of Spin magazine, I was reading Spin magazine at the ah. time. Um, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, I think you know Byron Coley was writing for them. I know he was doing some stuff. Bell Hooks wrote some stuff for them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Legs McNeil was involved, but there were a bunch of writers at that time that I loved. Hmm. Um, and there were some writers for Sassy Magazine, which was uh-huh. you know a magazine yeah. marketed to teenage girls. But, yeah, you know there was enough yeah. great stuff in there for me to be interested in. So, <laughs> Christina Kelly was one of the writers there that I really really liked, and uh-huh. some other folks whose names again escape me. So those are those people. But I mean, if we're talking about emulation, um, I mean obviously all kids do that at some point. Yes, where they're like emulating a person or yes. a group. Well, that's pop stars or just someone you know. Right. And I, you know, if we're talking about my interest in music and writing, my older brother was the guy. Ah. As he is, oh, I forget how much older he is. He is seven years older than me. Wow. Six years older than me. Six years older than me. Wow. Um, yeah. And so he he was the guy that knew all the great music. Was he a writer? He he was and still is. Yeah. Um, not as much as, as I would like him to be. Who does he write for? He doesn't. That's the problem. You know, oh. he has done one thing for Oregon Music News. Actually, I actually, when I was when I was doing some work for you there, mm-hmm. I contracted him to write a review of a band, mm-hmm. and he did a great job. And I've tried to do the same thing for him wow. in, in the past, and 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 hopefully in the future as well. He used to write a lot for a magazine in Boston called Lollipop, mm-hmm. which is uh, sort of like this sort of free magazine you just mm-hmm. pick up, you know, at the coffee shops and bars around town. And was writing for them so much he had to adopt a pseudonym as well as his own name, so it wouldn't seem like it was one guy overwhelming the editorial. Um, I just leave the I just leave the violin on. There you go. Yeah, but he was he would do great stuff for them. Just, you know, great, just witty, verbose stuff. Yeah. Still writes that way. Wow. Um, and so you you know you hang around with that guy enough. My my older sister looked up to him as well, and like we were both just like in awe of like you know what he was tapped into at that. Who time. did he look up to? He looked up to guys like Lester Bangs and ah, Chuck Eddy and those guys from the you know see, Robert Christgau and those dudes. Yes, because yeah. because those are the guys that 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 I looked up to. The, yeah. the original five. Yeah, Grill Marcus, Nick Tonchis, uh, Robert Christgau, Lester Bangs, and uh, Meltzer. Meltzer, who lives in Portland. Yeah. I'm gonna. I I, I did it. You got to get him on this thing. Yeah. I did a TV story on Meltzer one time. He hated every minute of it. I'll bet he did. He did. <laughs> and then when when it aired, he grudgingly told me that he really liked oh, it. Isn't that the best? <laughs> I got that from Marty Hughley one time. Like someone really? someone said, like 
I forget what I wrote about, and someone said at the, the Oregonian, like, you know, I sold Marty. That was your piece. He said, yeah, I guess it was pretty good. And he's like, and that's pretty high praise from Marty. I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I will take it. I will accept it. But you know who I've always wanted to interview and never have, and maybe one day I will, is Nick Totches. Oh, my God. That guy is a firebrand. Totches. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I'm, all I, those other guys, fine, you know, but yeah, his stuff, I think Totches is the, is the one. I am in absolute agreement with you there. That guy's yeah. work, like his book on Dean Martin alone, Dean is Martin, just like the Sonny List and yeah. Jerry Lewis, Unsung Heroes of Rock and Roll. Yeah, you got it. All yeah, those books, yeah. incredible, right? Yeah. And yeah, I love. I mean, I love all those guys too. Yes. But, you know, to varying degrees. I mean, Chris Gow. But they're contemporaries of mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like for for me, it was the guys who grew up on them as well, and were really right. excited about what they had to say. Right, so. Right. It was funny being in the presence of Chris Gow and, and Grill Marcus. At the there's the EMP Pop Conference that happens every year, uh-huh. and I finally went up to it last year. Um, and Chris Gow was, you know, as curmudgeonly as you could imagine him to be. More than Meltzer. More than Meltzer. Come I, on, I, I, that's well, impossible. I don't know. Meltzer wasn't in the room, so I couldn't compare and contrast. <laughs> but I think you know, Chris Gow at that point was. was <laughs> and there was a, you know, and, I, and some of it came out of like there was a guy who was. Uh, one of the first presentations I saw was a guy, and I can't remember his name, and I could look him up and let you know, but um, he did a big thing about Katy Perry, and about, and he was like your age or something like yeah, that, talking yeah. about like what, how, why Katy Perry is important, and why her music is good, uh-huh. essentially, yeah. and going through her career, like she started as a Christian pop artist yeah. and then has m- yeah. melded herself into yeah. Yeah. this superstar that she is nowadays. Right. And Chris Gow's first question to the guy <laughs> was, okay, well, how? Like, what percentage of her music is good? <laughs> he gave an answer, and I don't remember what, but in my head I'm just thinking, you know, what a ridiculous question. That sounds like a question you would ask, but it's a ridiculous question. I yeah. mean, yeah. totally subjective thing, man. You can't put a number on it. It's up right. to the listener. Like, why would you even say that? But whatever, you know? And then he gave a whole – he gave a presentation about the um, sort of history of the car song, about songs about cars and automobiles. The whole um, conference that year was focused around like uh, music and mobility, uh-huh. essentially. So yeah, it's fascinating stuff. But yeah, to being in, I mean, <laughs> Grill Marcus. I think Grill Marcus is the guy that that I initially looked up to a lot. Just like the way he wrote, like his his real life or was a real life rock top ten list that he did. Yeah, he's doing for art form. Does for the Believer now. Um, such fascinating stuff, and I learned a lot from those, just like things that I would never have heard about otherwise, I think. Um, but yeah, Toshis, once I started reading him, just forget yeah. about it, the rest of those guys. Marcus, uh, I always appreciated intellectually, but he never never got me. Sure. He never really got me. Yeah. Not like Toshis or Bangs. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Scott was sort of somewhere in the middle of that. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah. well, you know, the, the, the famous cut line on the back of the Sonny Liston book that Toshis wrote with, that, from the guy who had fought Sonny Liston saying something like, reading this book is like getting hit by Sonny Liston. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, Chris Gow is just an interesting figure. Anyone who refers to himself without irony as the dean of American rock journalism, I yeah. just... I got, I got I have little patience for that whole you know yeah, ego really. trip. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So my anyway to to reel this back in. But my brother was the guy. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. And you know he talking about mixtapes again. Uh, you know he was the guy who would make me mixtapes uh-huh. stuff. And you know again very formative, eye-opening experiences listening to a lot of that stuff. It's uh-huh. stuff that I would never have 
heard otherwise uh, from, you know, Beefheart, some Thelonious Monk. Uh-huh. Um, the Fall was like one of his favorite bands. Um, I don't know, tons of stuff. Yeah. yeah. One of the first, I just remember that he, he and I have had long joking conversations about this. That one of the first experiences I had, I remember buying an album of my own was having the money and going to buy uh, the album The Queen is Dead by the Smiths, uh-huh. their third record. Yeah. And was really excited about this. Like, look, I've got, you know, one of my first records bought a Smiths record, and this is a great band. And my brother didn't own it yet. Uh-huh. I think it was pretty new at that point. It's like 86 oh. when that came out. So yeah. It was pretty new at that point. And he's like, you know, I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better than this, Bob. You give me the record. I'll put it on a tape for you, and then on the other side of the table, put all this other music for you, and then I'll get to keep the record. What do you think about that? <laughs> and me being the starry-eyed thing of like my older yeah. brother's finally deigning to try to communicate with me on this level, I was like, yeah. "Yes, <laughs> do it." And you know, and he did. I still have the tape. Really? I, yeah. So I, what was on the other side? Oh my gosh! I know there's. I mean, this is stuff that I was into at the time. I think there was some Oingo Boingo on there. Ha! <laughs> um, <laughs> only a man. Only a man. Might have been that. Might have been. Yeah. Um, I've been some talking heads. I'll have to look it over. It's been a long time. Like this, one of those things that I know. Like if I listen to it, I'm like, well, of course, this, this, that, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff because it it runs stuff that I was into from from movies and things like that, you know. So, Burns' ex-girlfriend was a friend of mine because he he lived in Baltimore for a long time. Actually, actually, actually took took her to see Don't Stop Making Sense when it came out. That was an interesting. Oh my god! We did not hold hands. I cannot imagine. I tried. I tried so hard to get a piece on that movie because it's the 30th anniversary this year. Yeah, that movie's release, and I really wanted to do. Everybody's doing oral histories of things, and right. I thought I'll try my hand at one of these, and I was going to do one on that movie and yeah. making that movie. Um, you know, I got Chris France on record, uh-huh. uh, but through him and through their publicist, uh, they assured me Tina Weymouth would not speak on the record just <laughs> because she doesn't do interviews. It's like okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I managed to wrangle an interview with Jerry Harrison through uh-huh. weird means because I couldn't get a hold. You can't find the guy online anywhere. Yeah. But my my I call him a friend, and we don't know each other that well. Uh, you know who Andy Zachs is? Does that name sound familiar? He is best known for uh, there was a show in Comedy Central called Beat the Geeks a few years ago, <laughs> and he was the resident music geek, ah. and for good reason. I mean, the guy's got uh, the kind of record collection that would just leave your jaw on the floor. Mm-hmm. And is just amazingly knowledgeable about this about music, uh, so that's where his sort of claim to fame is, if you want to look at it like that. But since he has a job doing a lot of work um, remastering and reissuing records, or like overseeing remastering and reissuing campaigns for rec for albums, mm-hmm. uh, so he he's the guy behind all the Talking Heads reissues, or like uh, what was the other ones? Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, mm-hmm. uh, the television issues that they did on Rhino. Uh, he got Rhino to re-release the uh, the two albums by the Neon Philharmonic, wow. um, stuff like that. Like yeah. he did, he did the, the big Woodstock uh-huh. set that he did that was trying to as close as possible recreate the actual experience of the full three-day festival rather than just bits and pieces of it. Right? Yeah. Got nominated for a Grammy, rightfully so. Yeah. Anyway, because he did the Talking Heads reissues, I had I got in touch with him and said, "Is there any way you can?" connect me with Jerry Harrison. Do you have any contacts? Like, well, it's been a couple of years. Let me see what I got. He gave me a phone number. Yeah. I called it, left a message, didn't expect to hear anything back. And then he calls me right back, Jerry Harrison. Or I gave my email address. It was like encouraging him to email so we could set it up ahead of time. 
but he calls me up like an hour later and I was completely unprepared for the interview, but it's like, I'm not going to reschedule this because God knows this might be my only chance. So I had to just do it right then and there. Yeah. So I got him and then I got, um, Jeff Cronenweth, who is the son of Jordan Cronenweth, who's the director of photography in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, who he was actually like a camera operator on Stop Making Sense, like one of his first jobs. Yeah. Following his dad's footsteps. Yeah. Um, got him in the middle of him shooting Gone Girl, that new David Fincher movie. Right. Right. So those are the only three interviews I got. You know, uh, Burns' publicist was did on. Try Bernie Worrell. I did not. No, see, I didn't. Was... For me, Bernie Worrell stole the movie. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, he and the other like, guys, like Steve Scales yeah. and the uh, yeah. percussion player and the two singers, like one of them yeah. was in The Brides of Funkenstein, you right. know? Right. So, yeah, so it was like, what that, you know, t- to talk even more inside baseball about this, you know, it was one of those things, like, you know, Burns' <laughs> publicist wouldn't let me do it. She was like, yeah. she's not going to do interviews, sorry. Yeah. Uh, couldn't Jonathan Demi talk to his people once? Uh-huh. And they said, well, we'll see what we can do. He's kind of busy, like, prepping for a couple things. We'll do our best. Nothing ever came of that. <laughs> and then one of the women, Lynn Mabry, uh-huh. who was one of the singers in that, who was in that movie, 20, 20 Feet from Stardom, the like, yeah. movie with backup singers. Yeah, yeah. I got in touch with her through Facebook, and she said, well, what is this about? Like, what, what are you looking to do? And I explained it very as clearly as I possibly could. Like, mm-hmm. here's what my plan is, and that was the last I ever heard from her. Oh. So, yeah. Jeez. But that, I think that could have been... A great piece. Yeah. Just because yeah. it's, it's still, as far as concert films go, it doesn't get much better than how right. that one was put together. Right. Which I'm sure you agree. Right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So now, uh, to turn this over to, to me being the interviewer, um, <laughs> now that we're at the end of the year here, I don't know, when is this going to be out in the world? Like early January? This 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 interview? Mm-hmm. This, this is, yeah. This, no, this, this will be uh, in, in two weeks. Okay. So we still got time Three to weeks. get. We still got time to get next this week in. is next week is Art Levine. The following week uh, is uh, is Byron Beck and then you. Ah, Byron Beck, great guy. Um, so what about the end of the year stuff? Do you do you, do you put together a list of like your favorites of the year? No, no, no. Doesn't interest you at all. Doesn't interest me. Okay. For one thing, um, how can I say this? It 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 doesn't interest me. Okay. I don't really keep up that much. Because I find most of the stuff I hear that I get that's new to be the same song with a younger performer. Okay. You know? I can appreciate that. I would be very happy if I could just deal with my own jazz and blues Mm -hmm. and funk. Yeah. And stuff like that. Right. Uh, If I had to pick a local. Sure. I would put Liv Warfield at the top of the list. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I just don't, I don't, okay. I, I just don't do that. You okay. Know? I mean, um, uh, it's, it's, it, I could be my own malaise, <laughs> you know, because, uh, I've been doing, I've been doing this every day of my life mm-hmm. since I, since, well, since midsummer of 2009 mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit burned out. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the having the magazine come out has been very re- rejuvenating. Good. Having a pacemaker put in is totally rejuvenating. <laughs> so I think you know, and what it's better for me to look forward uh-huh. now to 2015. Sure. When I have more blood pumping, literally, literally, to all all areas, including my brain, and uh, I've got you know, and I've got a print magazine, which is very exciting. That's fantastic. It and, really is. Uh, and so I think I may be paying more attention. 
Okay. The thing is, though, um, I because you know I have a, a body of writers mm -hmm. who I really love and who do have their their fingers uh, fingers on the pulse of what's going on. I let them do it. There you go. You know, so I don't have to listen to stuff I don't like. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, when you no. go home, when you, when you go home, uh huh. Um, do do you still play stuff that's not related to work that you just want to hear? Oh, sure. You do. Yeah. Okay. I've got a you know I've got a stereo at home like every other okay good red blooded American music fan. So and a turntable and a turntable. All right. Have one for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So of course I you know I just throw on just. Pick a random record. Let right. my son pick a random record. Just listen to whatever. You what know? does he listen to? <laughs> How old is he now? He's seven. Seven. <laughs> He's got some interesting tastes, and, and and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just weird. You play. He just gets latched on to certain songs, certain bands, and you can't get him out of there for some reason. Played him. I had a CD uh, that they put out a couple years ago. Well, it's like going back and watching The Lion King a million times. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. 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 So, like what? So uh, there was a CD they put a couple years ago of all of Neil Diamond's early bang <laughs> singles, right? I think great stuff, like good, you know, pretty good '60s rock and roll stuff. Yeah, yeah. Played that for him once. That's the only thing he wanted to hear for a long time. Was listen to that one. Did he learn all the words. He's learned a lot of the words. Which yeah. ones does he sing? Oh, what was his favorite? Uh, I got a feeling was one of his favorites. <laughs> it's just not the one I expected to, to him to latch onto, but yeah. Uh, then at one point I, I pulled out a copy that I had just like one of those thrift store finds of like a great looking copy of Gene Pitney's greatest hits. Really? I'm like, oh, so Gene Pitney when we're hanging yeah. out together. Put it on. Oh, man, he just fell in love. <laughs> so Gene Pitney. I want to hear more Gene Pitney. It's like, you know, for his birthday, he got a CD collection of Gene Pitney stuff. It he isn't very pretty with a town without Pitney. Exactly. He loves that. He loves the Man Shot Liberty Valance. It's probably his number one. <laughs> Um, then he's gotten latched onto like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he's getting he's gotten attached to a lot of like um, '90s pop records. Like this is band Jellyfish from the Bay Area. Uh -huh. Only released two records during their stint, but very sort of '70s influenced um, pop stuff. Amazing songwriters, though, like the you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he. I had a copy of their first album on CD that he grabbed a hold of and just loves. And there's a band called Ivy. It's from uh, I think New York. It's a guy. This guy Adam Schlesinger is one of the the songwriters who um, is best known for co-writing the theme song to that thing you do, that Tom Hanks movie. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And was a member, I think, an off a member of the Fountains of Wayne, another indie rock band. So that's like his sort of dreamy pop record. So he kind of goes in those ways, like some '60s pop stuff, some dreamy '90s stuff. Uh, the worst though lately has been because it's the holidays. <laughs> We were driving somewhere the other day, and I turned on the radio, and, and Wham's Last Christmas is on the radio, on the oh, Christmas geez. radio station. Oh, boy. And that's it. Like, he spent the rest <laughs> of the day just singing the chorus of that song. I'm like, you listen to the song once, and you already got the chorus down, which is probably something to say about the songwriting. But, yeah, he got stuck on that, man. Yeah. Wow. My friend Kelly Shannon uh, uh, put up a, a post on Facebook asking which Christmas song should she record this year. And I suggested Christmas in Jail by the Prisoners. <laughs> Christmas in Jail. Do, 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 do. No, I don't think she's going to do that. Oh, that's too bad. No. Well, I, we're, 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 this is, we've, I think we're about done. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Been, this has been, this has been gone very quickly. This has gone very quickly. It's been over an hour. Can you wow. imagine that? I, yeah. I can. Yeah. 
And, and by by law, <laughs> you know, podcasts can't be over too much over an hour. Right? Have you have you signed your 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 podcast contract? <laughs> They sent that around yet? Hey, thanks. This has been really fun. Oh, this has been great, Tom. Thank yeah, you so much yeah. for asking me to do this. This is great. All right. When is your radio show? Uh, my radio show is on X-Ray FM from 3 to 4 p.m. on Mondays. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I don't get to play as the, the, the widest variety of stuff just because of the hour of the day it is. They want to hear yeah. more yeah. you know, palatable material for that hour of the day, which is totally fine. But yeah. it's still a lot of fun. Right. I love doing yeah. radio. There's All no right. getting around it. And when's your radio show on? So My Friday show nights? is uh, this new show that I started on KMHD called I Like It Like That. Yeah. Uh, you take Sally and I'll take Sue and we're <laughs> going to rock away all our blues. Come on, let me show you where it's at. Uh, it's uh, 8 to 10 on Friday nights. Fantastic. It's a great time. It's really a lot of fun. All right, man. I'll see you around. Yes, I'll be around. <laughs>